Good morning. There it is. Good morning. Good morning. Y'all ain't paying no attention to me. Good morning. Welcome to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. Our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. Uh, family, uh, again, welcome to the, the Village Church. And if you do have your bulletins, um, scanning the QR code, which is located on the front of that guide, allows you to connect to all information about our church, the giving of tithes and offerings, along with our social media platforms, all in one convenient place. Guests, if this is your first time visiting us, please click on the um, uh, scan that QR code and click on the menu item for first-time guests. At the Village Church, we believe that giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship, and you may give to the vision and mission of the church online uh, via that QR code. Or you may mail a check to our address, 2103 Virginia Boulevard, Huntsville, Alabama, 35811. Or after service, you may drop your offering off in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary. Today, after worship, um, our Sunday equipping classes are for all ages, immediately following worship. And then after those SEC classes, we'll be having our chili cook-off. Yeah, that's right, chili cook-off. Yeah, get excited. I made cornbread. It tastes delicious. It was so good that I had to make more cornbread because I ate the first one. Hey, it is what it is. This week, Thursday, February 16th, uh, at uh, 7 a.m., the uh, Shipman Men's Group will meet at Just Love Coffee. And at 5 p.m., the Goodson Men's Group will meet at the church house. Um, Next Sunday, February 19th, um, 9.30 worship with communion. Um, At 11 will be the SEC classes for all ages. And at 12.15 after church, the uh, the Teague Village Group will meet in the church house. These are your announcements. Please govern yourselves accordingly. Good morning. Good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. And we are called to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is what? It is good, and his mercy endures forever. Amen. Well, let's just take a few moments um, to gather ourselves and uh, go before the Lord um, in a time of prayer and preparation. And I'll give you guys a few moments to just do that individually, and then the next sound you hear will be me praying. Thank you. 
come to this time from a whole host of situations and uh, with a whole host of feelings and lots of things happening in our lives on a daily basis. And um, those things, whatever they are, good or bad or indifferent, those things, situations and things are very real. And we come into this place this morning um, and we carry some of those things with us. God, I, I just ask that, Spirit, you will help us fix our eyes on you this morning. Lord, I, we commit this time to you with the understanding that nothing happens in this place unless you move. You are in control of all things. In fact, you hold all things together. Uh, you hold each of us with your righteous right hand. And your presence is very real in our lives. You are Emmanuel. But again, we need you to move. So, Spirit, we just ask that you do a mighty work in us today. Uh, you inhabit the praises of your people. Help us to believe that, Lord. Help us to believe that in this time that we're together, we can cast our cares at your feet, knowing that you care for us, Lord. Um, you, your word is mighty. God, help us to believe that it is true, and all of your promises are yes and amen. Lord, I just pray that we would, we really would rejoice today, for you really are good, you really are kind, and your mercies endure forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Why I praise you, I lift you up. 
chapter 2, verses 20b through 22. Please join with me where it notes people and all. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. Amen?
Lord, our Lord. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh, Lord, our Lord, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. The heavens declare, oh, the
baby seated. Good morning, everybody. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It is so awesome to be here in the house of the Lord with God's people. You all look beautiful this morning. All right, let us uh, go go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are fairer. You are our Savior. You are our Lord. You draw us into your presence. You hold us in your arms. You tell us that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in you. We praise you. We love you. We need you. There's nothing we can do apart from you that has eternal significance. Father, we just thank you that we are no longer your enemies, but we are your friends. You hold all things together by the word of your power. You created everything there is, everything we can see, everything we can't see. There's nothing that is outside of your reach. You tell us to pray for your kingdom to come, and Lord, we do pray for that. We know you are everywhere, but we need you to come. Father, be in this place. I pray that your spirit will fall upon us, that we'll see you in a new and different way today because of the move of your spirit and the preaching of your word. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our confession of sin comes from Lamentations 3, uh, verse 40. We all know that um, during the week, during our life, we do things, we say things that we know are wrong, that we hurt people. Sometimes we, our pride gets in the way. And we just need to go before the Lord uh, in confession. So here's our confession of sin. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let's just have a moment of silent confession. Amen. Our assurance of pardon comes also from Lamentations 3. 
You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. Thanks be to God. Now, if you're able, uh, I would ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word. The scripture today is Hosea chapter 5, verse 15 through chapter 6, verse 6. Listen for the word of God. I will go away and return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day so that we may live before him. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? For your loyalty is like a morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early. Therefore, I have hewn them in pieces by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And the judgments on you are like the light that goes forth. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This is the word of the God. You can be seated. Good morning, everyone. We're going to go to the Lord now in time of prayer and supplication. This is a time for us to bring um, our needs before the Lord and for also it's time for us to intercede on behalf of those uh, in our life. So let us go to the Lord now with our prayers of supplication. Father, sometimes life does not go the way we want it to go. Plans don't always go the way we want them to go. Sometimes, Lord, we have to drag ourselves here on Sunday. Sometimes we we just feel like we're just making it. So we come to you in, in various places today, emotional places, physical places, dealing with whatever issues that we're dealing with. We come and bring those uh, needs to you because you are our help. You are our sustainer, our king, our provider, our Lord. And Lord, we corporately, Father, we want to intercede on behalf of our church for those in our congregation recovering from sickness, those in our congregation who may be dealing with relational problems, parenting problems, that you administer to them. I pray, Lord, for Jess and Wes. Thank you for the birth of their child. She 
she's doing well today. I continue to pray recovery over her and give them wisdom and help us be able to walk alongside of them, Lord, and celebrate in this new life. Continue to pray blessings over Mary Lou as she continues to make the transition to Atlanta. Pray for Miss Patricia's husband, Mark, as he continues to recover from cancer. I pray for the Hales, Jacob, Rachel, as her cancer has spread through her whole body. Just pray, Lord, for comfort. Still pray for healing. Pray for her family who will be traveling into St. Louis to be with her. So I pray for wisdom and this church, for our leaders, that we will lead well, that you will protect us from blind spots, that you will reveal to us if, if we're failing in our leadership, and we will own that and apologize and do what is right. But I'm grateful that when these prayers are being lifted up, they're, they're not falling on a dead ear, but you hear them. That you are always an on-time God. You might not come when we want you to, but Lord, you're always on time. And so, Lord, we pray with an expectation that, that you're not just going to hear us, but you're going to move on our behalf. For your word says that you are for us and not against us. Your word says that you have inscribed us on the palm of your hand. Your word says if a father and mother may forget you, you never will. So Holy Spirit, help us to cling to the cross. Help us to um, not to live in hopelessness, but, but knowing that, 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 that our God is with us in this valley of shadow of death that we try to navigate day in and day out. Life is exhausting. Relationships are hard. Jobs don't always satisfy. Bills don't stop coming. So, Lord, help us cling to you as you're clinging to us. Help us to know that you have overcome this world. Help us to know that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Help us to know that you do work all things to the good of those who love you. We don't. We might not see that or feel that or see how that can happen, but, Lord, that's what your word says is true. And so I pray that you will help our unbelief. Because sometimes it's just hard believing that you're good when we see and when we're suffering and when, when we're disappointed and things are, are hurting. So, Holy Spirit, Take these words and deliver them to the Father's ear. And I pray for all this in Christ's name. Amen. I think Marcus said this. You know, we the chili kickoff is returning today, so hopefully, um, y'all are ready to eat some good chili and ready for me to win again. So there we go. <laughs> It's a joke, Richard. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> in, in Exodus 34, uh, I, I said I, I went over this last week, but in Exodus 34, Moses 
gets up early one morning and climbs Mount Sinai as the Lord God commanded him the day before. And when Moses reaches the top of the mountain, the Lord descends in a cloud and he joins Moses on top of Mount Sinai. And he stands right beside Moses. And and then the Lord calls out his own name, Yahweh. He passes in front of Moses calling Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. Their entire family is affected, even the children in the third and fourth generation. TVC Saints and Guests, Exodus 34, it reveals how God is present in the lives of his people. On one hand, his presence hurts. For he says, I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. And on the other hand, his presence heals. For he says, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity. I forgive rebellion. I forgive sin. Last Sunday, I preached on how God's presence sometimes hurts. Now today in Hosea 5, Hosea chapter 5, verses, verse 15, all the way through chapter 7, verse 2, I'm going to preach on how God's presence heals. How God's presence heals. The sermon title is simple today. It's love heals. Love heals. You see, a love that makes us whole also heals us. But do we believe that? Do we really believe that? In the places where we actually do life, do you believe God's love can heal your brokenness? Please join me as I ask the Holy Spirit to bless the preaching of the word. Holy Spirit, as I pray each week, if you don't move, the word falls on dead hearts. If you're not moving, we can't worship. We can go through the motions of worship, but we can't worship in spirit and truth if you are not pulling and drawing our hearts into you. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, third person within the Godhead, our helper, uh, the deposit that guarantees our inheritance, the one who reminds us of truth and leads us into all truth, the one who helps us understand the Bible, the one who equips us to apply the Bible to our life. Will you please, please move in our hearts and in our minds today? It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. There are four ways we can relate to people in our life that can cause serious damage to our relationship with them. Four ways. There are four ways that each of us can relate to the people in our life that can cause damage to our relationship with them. These are actually four toxic styles of relating to other people. I didn't come up with these four styles. I read about them in an article this week, so I can't take credit for it. The toxic styles are preoccupied and distracted, paranoid and distrustful, passive and docile, and the, and the fifth one, the fourth one, the one that I really want to focus on, 
is pandering and defenselessness. Pandering and defenselessness. It's given, that means you give in to the whims and demands of other people in your life because you are afraid of conflict. It's parents not being able to tell the kids no. It's spouses who enable. It's friends who appease and pacify. Do you have a pandering and defenseless relationship style in your relationships with other people? Are you close to someone who does? What about the Lord? Does God relate to his people in toxic ways? Does he? Is he preoccupied? Is he distracted? Is he passive? Is the Lord God a pandering and defenseless father? No, no, no. He is not a pandering and defenseless father. He doesn't enable and appease and, and pacify us. He tells his sons and daughters, no, at some point. Amen. At, at some point, he says no. At some point, he says no. See, he has set boundaries and expectations. And when those boundaries are crossed and when those expectations are met, he, he, bring, he does bring fatherly discipline in our life, which does hurt. Which does hurt. Remember, we saw last week how God's presence sometimes hurt. We saw how it hurt Israel and, and, and Judah. And some of you probably can't get those images out of your mind. Because if you were here last week, you, 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 you heard God use some language that was very uncomfortable. So what, what does he say about him? He says, I will pour out my wrath like water on the princes of Judah. I'm like moth to Israel. I'm like dry rot to the house of Israel. My mother-in-law would not talk, stop talking about that when she was here last week, that dry rot. Dry rot to the house of Israel. I will be like a lion to Israel, like a young lion to the house of Judah. I will tear away and go away. I will carry off and no one will rescue. God's language here is hard to digest. It's a hard pill to swallow. It's uncomfortable and it hurts. But the God who hurts us is a God who also heals. His love hurts and it heals. It's both hands. Remember what he says about himself in, in, in Exodus 32. I'm a God of compassion and justice, but I do not let the guilty go free. It's both and. When you read through the Bible, there's, on, there's one thing you can say about God. He is Mr. Consistency for all eternity. You might not like what, how he does things, but he's Mr. Consistency for all eternity. CBC Saints and Gaz, there's a purpose behind all of God's discipline and judgment in the book of Hosea. Do y'all know the purpose? It's not abuse. It's not condemnation. His purpose is to correct and guide and train his people. Let me put it this way. He hurts them because of their sin in order that he might heal them from their sin. He hurts them because of their sin in order that he might heal them from their sin. We see this in the shift that takes place in verse 15. In verses 10 through 11 of chapter 5, God's presence hurts. 
in verse 15, there's a, a shift in his presence. He wants to be a healing presence in, in, in Judah and in Israel. Look at verse 15. It says, I will, re- I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt. Seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. God returning to his place is similar to what he said back in verse 6 where he says he will, his, he will withdraw his presence from Israel and Judah because of their unrepentant sins. And according to one biblical scholar, this place is an is a unspecific place that is unaccessible, unaccessible to sinful people. They can't reach God. And this withdrawal of his presence is, is part of his judgment and discipline to produce in his people a conviction of their sin. I hope you can hear God's heart in verse 15. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. I hope you can hear the love in those words. The, I hope you can feel the impact of God's nonverbal actions here. That he said he's going to return to his place and he's going to wait for his people. He's going to wait for the moment when they return to him. You know what image this should create in you? The image of the prodigal son. The, pro, the father in the prodigal son parable. And if you know the parable, you know in that parable the youngest son of this father disrespects his father. He goes to his father and says, hey, hey, you give me my inheritance. I know you ain't dead yet, but I want you to go ahead and give me what you owe me because I'm going to go off in the far country and do my own thing. And he did. He, the father gave him his inheritance. He goes off into the far country and he lives it up. He lives it up. He did everything under the sun. And eventually, the text says, he comes to his senses. Eventually, his sin caught up with him. He, came, he comes to his senses and says, I'm living like this, but and back in my father's house, there's room there. So he, he, gonna, he returns to his father's house. And, and if you know the parable, what does the father do when he sees the son coming? Does he say, Get that boy off my land. That, that's no son of mine. That's no child of mine. He he took his inheritance and left. Y'all, you, 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 you men, go escort him out. He runs to him. Embraces him. Kisses him. The father's presence at that moment is a healing presence in the life of his sinful son. Because the son was coming back just to be the help. But the father restored him to his rightful place. This is exactly what God wants for Israel. He wants them to come to their senses and return to him so his presence can be healing to them. He says, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. He wants them to acknowledge their guilt and seek him in the midst of the consequences. Do you seek God in the midst of your consequences? Because his discipline is supposed to draw you close to him, not push you away. 
to acknowledge guilt is to confess. It's confession of sin. And after the confession, one would seek God's face, which is you seeking his healing presence. You seek to seek God's face is to return to him, and to return to him is repentance. That's what it means to return to God. It's repentance. He is saying when they confess their sins, then they will repent of it before my face and seek my forgiveness. Both confession and repentance brings us into God's healing presence. But confession comes before repentance. Do you know why? Because one can't repent of sin if a person doesn't acknowledge the presence of it. Think about it. Parents, so what kid in your life you can't get to acknowledge they did anything wrong? And that's what God has said sometimes. We're like, I can't even get y'all to acknowledge you did anything wrong. The little y'all ask me for forgiveness. You won't even acknowledge that you did anything wrong. So he is saying that you won't repent of sin if you don't believe you are guilty of sinning. So now, what are the particular sins God wants Israel and Judah to confess and own? Some of these sins are in Hosea chapter 6, verse 7, all the way through chapter 7, verse 2. I'll give you all a moment to turn there if you want to go there. Hosea chapter 6, beginning at verse 7. These are some of the sins, and not all of them, but these are some of the sins he wants them to confess, to own, to acknowledge. The first one... God wants Israel and Judah to confess their covenant unfaithfulness. He wants them to acknowledge that they are covenant-breaking people. He even likens their unfaithfulness to Adam's unfaithfulness back in Genesis 3. Look at verses, look at verse 6, 7. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. One theologian writes, it is God's intent to demonstrate the magnitude of the sin of Judah and Israel by identifying their origin as well as the example for this sin. This sin was not only evil in and of itself, but it also had an evil origin, which made it even more evil. The breach of covenant was a sin proceeding from the original breach of covenant in Adam. God wants Israel and Judah to acknowledge and to confess their covenant unfaithfulness. He wants, and he wants the same for us. They and us, we have to accept and acknowledge that at the end of the day, we're all like our first father, Adam. We're all covenant breakers. Can we confess that? Just remember, confession comes before repentance. You can't ask for forgiveness if you don't at first acknowledge what you did. Second, he wants them to confess their role in the moral decline and the social violence around them. Look at verse 8. Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood. Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood. People aren't loving their neighbors well. 
abuse, injustice, manslaughter, oppression are core values in the city. Gilead is sin city, it's crime city, it's a lawless society. And God says the streets are filled with blood, footprints of blood. People are actually being killed. And God wants his people to acknowledge their individual and corporate role in the injustice that's taking place. None of their hands are clean. All of them have someone's blood on their hands. So they're being called to confess the particular ways they are failing to love their neighbor as themselves. What about us? Can we confess the particular ways we are failing to love our neighbor as ourselves? It can be explicit or implicit. It can even be through it can even be through our silence in the face of injustice and oppression that we see daily. Can we confess it? Remember, confession comes before repentance. Third, he wants the spiritual leaders of Judah and Israel to confess their toxic leadership. Look at verse nine. As robbers lie and wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem, and they commit crimes. Villainy is what the text says. Imagine what God is saying here. These are clergy, and God says they're functioning like a street gang who hide and wait for their chance to attack them. Now, I'm not sure if this actual murder taking place, if it's literal or it's a minute for something, for something else. I don't know. But one commentator says, morally and socially, we see the nastiness of a lawless society. But not only thieves and bandits spread in terror, but the very priests turning religion into a heartless and even murderous racket. The priests are functioning like criminals instead of godly spiritual leaders of the people under their leadership. And the Lord God wants these leaders to confess their sins here. Acknowledge their abuses, abusive and toxic leadership. Acknowledge the ways that you have failed to love my people. Acknowledge the ways that you have hurt and harmed my people. And if you're a leader here at TVC, the same labor for us. Can we confess our failures in our leadership? Can I confess my failures as a pastor, if I have hurt one of y'all or said something to hurt you, can I own that when you come to me? Or will I just brush it off? For leaders at TVC, we have to be in a position where we acknowledge when we mess up. Because we're going to mess up. You have to acknowledge it. You can't repent of it if you're not going to acknowledge it. But confession comes before repentance. Fourth, God wants Israel to, Israel and Judah to confess their national idolatry. Look at verses 10 and 11 of chapter 7. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. For also, O Judah, a harvest is upon it. The horrible thing, the whoredom and the defilement is idol worship. God hates idolatry. I mean, he hates it. And this appointed harvest is God's judgment and discipline. He's calling both Israel and Judah 
who acknowledge their idolatry. Just confess to your bell worship. He wants them to name their idols. And again, he wants the same for us. Can we acknowledge our American idols? And we're not talking about the show. There are tons of idols in our culture that Christians worship. Can you acknowledge yours? You got to acknowledge that you have them. Only then can you give them to Jesus. Can we confess that we worship other things other than Jesus? We, like I said, I might not going to carve out a piece of wood and worship it, but my heart worships other things. It could be money. It could be success. It could be relationships. It could be my family. It could be good things. Name the bad and evil things. You can actually turn the gifts that God has given you into a little idol that you bow down to. Your family, your job, your material possessions, ministries. It's usually those good things. What good things? What blessings that God has given you that you have fashioned into an idol that you bow down to every day? What is it? Confession comes before Repentance. TBC Saints, the Lord God is calling Israel and Judah to confess these four sins from their heart. True confession leads to genuine repentance, returning to the Lord God for forgiveness. God wants heartfelt confession and repentance, not just half hearted, empty words like, oh, well, I guess I'm sorry. uh, Well, I apologize. If someone says that to you, is that genuine? Would you receive it as genuine? No, you would not. So I want you to turn to chapter 6 with me, if you have your Bible or your smartphone. Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. So I just said God wants heartfelt confession. That comes from the heart, not just empty words. So in these first three verses of chapter 6, you're going to see God's people confess some beautiful poetic theology about God's consistent character and his faithfulness. And as I read this confession, I want y'all to answer this one question. What's missing from their confession? What's missing from it? Look at verse 1, 6. Look at verse 1, verse one with me. The people say, come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down. He will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, we will, he will raise us up. And we may live before him. Let us know and let us press on to know the Lord. He is going out as sure as the dawn. He will come as the showers and as the spring rains waters the earth. Like I said, beautiful, poetic, all true. They're confessing some right theology about God. They're confessing both God's hurting and healing presence. Hope you notice that in the first, those first two verses. He has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. That, that confession about God is true. His presence heals. His presence hurts. And in verses 2 and 3, we see them confessing more truths about God's healing presence. He revives us. He raises us up. This means God's healing presence brings restoration to his broken people. 
And finally, we see them using water as a metaphor for God's healing presence. Now, that should, this, this metaphor should take you back to chapter 5, where, where God says you know, his, he would pour out his wrath like water, a hurting presence. But here his people says he will come to us as the showers. If the spring water rains, the water the earth. You see that? His presence hurt. His presence heals. See, they are confessing God's life-giving presence, which is a healing presence. Hosea 6, verses 1 through 3, is sound theology. It is a confession of faith about who God is. Now, can y'all tell me what's missing from the confession? Yes. They're confessing all the right things about God, but not about themselves. You see, they want to return to the Lord God. They want to press on to know the Lord without acknowledging their guilt, without confessing their sin, without accepting what they are doing wrong before his eyes. They want to sweep their sin under the rug of a half-hearted confession about God's character. And we do the same thing. God is good, but you don't live like he is. Let us just say what God wants to hear. Let us use flattery. Let's burden God up. Hosea 6, verses 1 through 3 is true, but it's lip service. This confession is not coming from broken and contrite hearts, and God knows it. And God knows it. He knows that confession is lip service. He knows it doesn't come from humble hearts. Turn back to uh, chapter 7 with me. Well, turn to chapter 7. Look at verse 1. God says, when I restore the fortunes of my people, when I will heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is revealed, the ev- and the evil deeds of Samaria. They deal falsely. The thieves break in, and the bandits raid outside. When God wants to restore Israel, when he wants to heal his people, all he sees is more sin. Now, here's his confession about his people. It's the same old, same old with y'all. Nothing has changed. They continue in their covenant unfaithfulness without conviction. And in, and in, verse, in chapter 7, verse 2a, he says, but they do not consider that I remember all their about what the Lord is saying with those words. Feel the emotion. Hear his fatherly heart. My people take my presence for granted. My people think so little of my holiness that they think it's okay for them to do whatever they want to do in my presence. If you are an adult and your parents still alive, Oh, you're going to go in front of your parents and say and do whatever you want to do in their presence? No. Not if you respect them. Not if you respect them, you will not. Even as an adult, you will act a certain way in the presence of your parents. Why would God require any less of his people? They don't, he's saying, they, they don't think I care about the sin in their lives. They treat their sin as if it's not a big deal, as if it doesn't cause damage to their covenant relationship with me. God is grieved here. Do not consider. 
this word that said this this phrase that says they do not consider the, the literal translation is they do not consider in their hearts that I remember all their years. He's he's looking right here in their heart of hearts, in the deepest part of their soul. They don't even consider that I remember their evil deeds. He's saying it doesn't even cross their mind. That's indifference. It doesn't even cross their minds that that I might not be okay with their unholy living. It's like they don't even see the arrow that waves. They don't think what they're doing is wrong. It's like they're blind to the truth God is telling them about themselves. And, And this is what I believe God is showing us is that sin is so deceitful it can blind you from seeing that it is sin. It is so deceitful that you won't even think you're in sin. You end up believing your own lie. And some of us are that blind this morning. And that happens even within the church. Judah and Israel, they can't see the sins that surround their lives. But God can. He can see it it as clear as day. And in verse 2b, he says, now that these surroundings, they are before my face. That they, they're referring to the sins. Their sins are before my face. Judah and Israel, they can't seem to give the Lord what he wants from them. He wants genuine confession and repentance that comes from a broken and contract heart. He wants Hosea 5.15. But they can't seem to give it to him. All they can offer him is, is a, as a half-hearted confession, and that's really just flattery. And so when you go back to chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, he says, What shall I do with y'all, O Ephraim? What shall I do with y'all, O Judah? Your love is like the morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. What does that mean? He says, they, their love for me evaporates quickly. That's what he says. They quickly forget about me. He says, even though I cut them by the prophets, even though I have slain them with my words, and my judgment comes forth as a light, it still doesn't seem to be enough to produce in them a conviction that leads to confession and repentance. And, and the question we have is, what does all this mean? It means we can say all the right things about God in our hearts and still be far from him. It means right theology does not equate to a right heart. It means you can go through external emotions of religion and your heart be completely lost. It means that the Lord God is patient with us even in the midst of discipline and judgment. It means he hurts us because of our sin so that he might heal us from our sins. It means confession comes before repentance. It means we cannot bring ourselves to an awareness of our own Sin. You cannot. Someone supernatural is needed. It means we cannot produce genuine confession and repentance in our own hearts. Someone greater is needed. It means sinful, broken people need a new heart. Regeneration is needed. Because in, in verse 6, in verse, in verse 6 of or chapter 6, God says, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. 
knowledge of God rather than blood offerings. Offerings that requires a new heart. A great physician is needed. People have to be rescued out of sin, not punished out of it. A savior is needed. Not just any savior, but a suffering savior. One who will pay the price in order for us to be set free from our sins. One who will bleed for our freedom. And Jesus Christ is the only one that was able to pay that price on the cross as our substitute. For Jesus is the second Adam who is not a covenant breaker. Jesus is a priest whose leadership is not toxic. Jesus is a prophet who speaks and lives God's word perfectly. Jesus is the king who heals his people. And in the book, The Return of the King, there's a quote that says, the hands of the king are the hands of the healer. So shall the rightful king be known. Jesus is that king. The word that became flesh. And Jesus is God's only plan for our redemption. I need y'all to see this. On the cross, God pours out his wrath on Jesus like water. Put that in your mind. On the cross, God got a picture of his wrath and poured it out on Jesus like water. On the cross, Jesus is crushed, oppressed, treated like filth. On the cross, God's presence is like moth and dry rot to Jesus. On the cross, God tears and wounds Jesus. On the cross, God's kindness and justice kiss. On the cross, God's presence hurts Jesus so that it won't hurt you in the last day. He hurt Jesus so that when you stand before him on the last day, his presence won't hurt you. He's going to welcome you in. Because all that punishment, all that justice was poured out on Christ on the cross. And in order for all that to be true of you, you've got to come to saving faith in Jesus today. Because if you don't, then all that dry rot, all that moth, all that wrath, all that tearing, it waits for you. You have to confess and acknowledge that you are a sinner who deserves justice. And then you repent of all that sin and ask Jesus for forgiveness. And next you submit and surrender your whole life to him as redeemer and king. And when you do that, you will be saved. But do we believe it? If you're here today, you don't know Christ, you can see me after the service. We can talk about it. I can share with you more about what it means to give your life to Jesus so that you can be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into his wonderful kingdom of light. Thank you, Father, that on the cross your kindness and justice kissed. Kindness towards us and justice for your for our sins through the punishment placed on Christ. 
I pray for those of us who are believers, who have been walking with you for a long time. Help us to remember our first love. Help us to remember who we belong to. And that makes a big difference in how we live this life. I pray for those who are here who may not know Christ, who have yet to make a profession of faith in him. I pray that today would be the day that they surrender. That today would be the day where they stop running. Today would be the day where they finally say, Lord, here I am. I confess I'm a sinner. And I come to you and I repent of that sin and ask for your forgiveness. And I submit and surrender my life to you. Holy Spirit, will you move today and whoever heart needs to, to hear that, I pray that they will come. And that you will draw them and they will receive Jesus today. Thank you for your faithfulness, Jesus. Thank you for your goodness. And I pray for all of this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Saints, will you stand as we close our service? Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God, may I be like you. Change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. Change my heart. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God, may I be like you.
change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. Change my heart, change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be, may I be like you. Yes, thank you so much uh, for being with us. Uh, we're going to have Sunday equipping classes, I think, after this, right? For every, for adults and kids. The adults will meet in the war room for the sermon discussion. The youth will be down in the youth room. And I think the kids are in the annex. In the annex. And so please stick around for the chili cook-off. It's going to be fun. And we get to eat some good chili. Now here's God's benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And all God's people said, Amen. Please greet one another.